The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Afternoons with Mike here on the Shepherd Radio Network. Today is a treat not only for you, it's a treat for me. I have loved this man. He is a voice that we are all familiar with from a couple of different directions. He's on the public square with our good friend Dave Zanotti. He's also the voice for Know the Truth and also on the Parenting Today's Teens commercials on The Shepherd. And I'm talking about the voice of Wayne Shepherd. Nice to have you with us, Wayne. Thank you, Mike. I've known about your network now for a few years, and with the name Shepherd, I've just been standing by waiting for this invitation. So (laughs) That's right. Shepherd is on Shepherd. (laughs) You have the exact name for our network. That is so great, Wayne. Well, here's what I love about you guys is that you spell it correctly. Yes. So often people will spell it differently. I have a grandson named Shepherd, my son who named him. Uh, spells it S H E P A R D, and uh, oh, what's wrong with him? Oh goodness, no! <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good. That's going to scar him for life. <laughs> I tell people it's King James spelling. The shepherd, the Lord is. You know, that's how. That's the only way to spell shepherd. Right, and we all know that if the King James was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for us, <laughs> right, Wayne? <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll have to ask him about that someday. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, Wayne and I had a chance to spend a little bit of time together at the NRB, which was uh, seemed like now three months ago, but it was really just last month, I guess, in uh, Nashville. And uh, what a what a fun time that was to get to know you. You're a broadcaster that uh, dates way back to the days in which you were working for Moody. And uh, I know that you, without a doubt, have broadcast stories that predate that. So tell us a little bit about your background, what part of the country you came from, and how it is that you got into broadcasting. Oh, well, thank you, Mike. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm so privileged to be a part of your show today. I really am. Um, I don't know. I've just always loved radio. I, I used to listen to radio. I would uh, go up and down the dial and just, you know, fantasize being that guy on the radio. And I, I never... Um, Imagine that you know the Lord would give me these fifty plus years of doing what I love, but there here I am, and uh, still doing it every day, doing more radio today than I've ever done at any point in my life, and I, I just I love it. I I grew up in Michigan. My uh, dad was an auto worker, and uh, we grew up. Uh, I grew up in an old ramshackle old farmhouse in Michigan, in the countryside north of Detroit, north of Pontiac, Michigan. And uh, my kids think I'm a hundred years old, but I went to a one room country school. And we had no indoor plumbing for the first few years of my life. I remember that very, very well. That, uh, you know, you never forget that. <laughs> so so that, uh, yeah, exactly. But all that to say, you know, there was nothing and there is nothing very special about me. I'm just somebody that uh, the Lord has just, uh, you know, given a, given a voice that I can use for him on, on radio. So I, I, I chose a college that would give me practical experience in radio. That was a Christian school in Ohio. 
And soon after graduation, I applied to the Moody Network. I thought I was applying to a local station in Ohio. They actually sent the application to the mothership in Chicago. And uh, the opening was in Chicago. And lo and behold, at age 22, I found myself in the big city of Chicago, where I never thought I would live, and uh, doing station breaks on WMBI in Chicago. So that was the start back in 1974. So from the get-go, really, you're you're doing Moody from the very beginning of your career. Yeah, I, I worked at a couple of local Christian stations in Ohio part-time while in school, but really Moody was my first uh, full-time experience, and uh, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll, okay, Lord, I'll go to Chicago for a couple of years. You know, we, my wife grew up in a farm in Ohio, and I grew up in, a, in the country of Michigan, and neither one of us wanted to live in the city. So we said, we'll give it two years, Lord, and maybe by that time we'll be qualified to go manage a station in Iowa or something, you know. And and uh, lo and behold, here it is all these many years later that we're still here, and this is home, and it is for the foreseeable future. So, As a 22-year-old, how was it working in that time uh, in a big city like Chicago when you, you were from Detroit? So that's that's a big city too, but I, I lived in the country, and yeah. And you're right. Most most radio people go from small market to medium market to large market. That's the career path for most in broadcasting. But again, as I say, you know, it's it's only God that uh, arranged the the path for me. I, I spent a few years working directly with the local radio station WMBI in Chicago, and then after a few years, satellite technology came along. And that, that was my project. My, uh, we had a blank slate all of a sudden. We could create all of these live radio shows that would reach the entire nation. Uh, and that was, that was my project, to recreate the Moody Network and to start these national call-in shows and, and news shows and that sort of thing. So that was a, that was a huge blessing and a, a huge challenge in my life in the early 80s. You know, you talk about someone that is that's been doing this as you have for fifty years. You the, you think about the technology that you and I dealt with when we began, compared to what we have today. Isn't that crazy? Oh my goodness! Yeah, I don't quite go back to the wire recorder days, but I do go back to uh, to cutting and and slicing and dicing tape for editing. You know, on an editing block. I'm sure you did as well. Uh, and I used to love doing that. I used to love taking a razor blade and, and uh, editing radio shows uh, on the block. But, uh, yeah, it's all digital now. I've had to learn all new skills. And, and I'm paying the price. You know you know this well, but in my own studio where I'm sitting right now, a hard drive died earlier today, which really uh, threw me for a loop. So we, we are all so dependent on, on digital these days, aren't we? Yeah, we really are. And, you know, it's the old adage that when computers work right, they're wonderful when they don't work right, not so, <laughs> not so much. That's right. I have a friend who says when Satan fell, he fell into tech, you know, so. <laughs> I, I don't think that's far from really the reality of what we're seeing happen in the world today. I, you know, sometimes, Wayne, uh, with all of the advantages and the things I love about it, uh, going back to that country upbringing that you had, sometimes when I think back, I had a similar upbringing in southern Indiana that uh, I kind of wish for those simpler times. Yeah, yeah, no no question about it. You're absolutely right. Uh, things got real complicated real fast in the world, didn't they? They really did. And, uh, you know, with the blessings that we all enjoy, and man, I really do enjoy a lot of them with the, the technology 
uh, we have to keep sight that it is only a tool. It's not the all in all. The way I think a lot of people in the world act like it's the all in all, but it really isn't. But it can sure absorb us as if it were. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Through the years, you know, uh, the technology has provided wonderful opportunities for ministry. And I um, I'm grateful to have had the chance to broadcast uh, from Europe and Amsterdam a couple of times with the Billy Graham uh, team in in uh, the itinerant evangelist conferences they held back in the 80s. Um, Promise Keepers came along in the 90s, and I was privileged to work with that as well as a as a radio anchor. I was the guy that was in the stadium press box uh, doing the play by play of the stadium events and. Then for Stand in the Gap in Washington, D.C., I was the guy on the on the truck platform doing the radio show of that million-man gathering there in Washington. And just experiences like that through the years have just been, you have to kind of pinch yourself that you were there and got to do what you got to do. Were you able to be part of Washington for Jesus in 1980? No, I was not. Um, at that time, I was ensconced in in Chicago, and I was heavily involved in the uh, operation of the local station there in 80, and uh, was not able to do the, the March for Jesus. I was there and uh, was part of the CBS kind of, uh, you could just call me a tagger. I had uh, I did video that was submitted to, C- to CBN, rather, not CBS, CBN, and uh, uh-huh. boy, that event was, was really a a memorable one in the sense of what was going on in the world. It was right at the end, uh, the, the, the transition with the hostage crisis with Iran was still going on and so many things. But I remember at one point, and this is the power of when people come together in a broadcast, uh, broadcast kind of a event as that one was, and they begin to pray. I remember how that Pat Robertson had everyone just take their hands, and you you see, from my eye, it was as many people as I could imagine. They estimated 500,000 people there, and all hands were were raised toward the Capitol building and praying for America. Yes. It yeah. was it was Powerful. one of those moments I'll never forget. Yeah. Yeah, I had a similar experience at uh, Stand in the Gap, which was the Promise Keepers event on the Mall, we were towards the front of the crowd on a uh, on a uh, platform truck doing our broadcast, and my co-anchor said, why don't you turn around and look? And I turned around from near the Capitol building and looked down the mall all the way to the Lincoln Memorial and saw, you know, it had to be a million men all worshiping the Lord, and many of them listening to the radio broadcast so they could hear better. And it was just a remarkable—it brought a chill that I've— that I've never had uh, one similar since. You know, it really is amazing. What was it like to work with Billy Graham? You know, um, I I got to talk to Billy a few times through the years, and then when he wrote his uh, memoir called Just As I Am, and I don't remember the year, I I can't tell you what decade things happened in, Mike. They all seem to blur together. Mm -hmm. But when Dr. Graham uh, wrote his memoir, I had been asking for a sit-down interview with him for years, because I love interviewing, and I, I I got a phone call from his assistant, who said, "Well, he's coming to Chicago, and he's going to do Oprah, and we're willing to bring him to your studio, and and do an interview." So I said, "Okay," and I set it up for him to actually uh, talk with the president of Moody at the time. And the night before the interview, the president called me and said, "You know what? I can't be there. My I have a family member in the hospital. I cannot do the interview with Billy. You've got to do it." 
So fortunately, I'd read the book, read the memoir, and I also knew much about Dr. Graham. So I did the interview. So I had a sit-down interview with Dr. Billy Graham for an hour one time that was just very, very special. Yeah. yeah it was very special. It was, it was a biographical interview, which is something I love to do. That is so wonderful. I did not know that. Uh, in fact, I didn't know you had worked with him as you had described earlier. But that has got to be a privilege and one of those, again, memories that you just carry. It's going to be with you yeah, forever. Yeah. And what yeah. a one- Can I tell you a quick story about that? Absolutely. Um, Billy, uh, of course, attended Wheaton College in the Chicago area, and then he pastored a church in the western suburbs of Chicago, and he listened to WMBI, the Moody Bible Institute radio station, and he heard a young man singing on the station named George Beverly Shea. And he had never met him. He would only knew him from listening to him on the radio. He came to the studios on the Moody campus looking for Bev Shea just to introduce himself and to invite Bev to sing on Billy's radio show, which was called Songs in the Night. And the two men met on the 10th floor of Kroll Hall at Moody Bible Institute. My office was on the 10th floor of Kroll Hall, those offices uh, that were so instrumental for so many years. And when, um, when Dr. Graham came that day for the interview... Without me prompting, he looked around and he said, this is the exact place where I came to meet Bev Shea. And he pointed to the corner office. And he told me the story. Well, a number of years later, Bev Shea came along. He, you know, he died in his, after, I think, his 103rd birthday or close to it. When he was 95, he visited us. And uh, when, when Bev arrived, I said, Bev, you know, here's the story Billy told me. Let me hear your version. And he told the exact same story, detail for detail, and pointed to the corner office again, which was my office at Moody. And he said, in that office, Dr. Graham found his way past the secretaries to meet with me, he said. And then he looked at the glass door. He looked at the glass door with my name on it, and, and Bev said, my name used to be on that door. And I said, well, put it back. I said, put it back. And I gave him a Sharpie, and he, he signed that piece of glass, George Bev Shea, Staff announcer, 1939 to 1944. And uh, when I left Moody, they, I, with permission, I want to make it clear, Mike, with permission, I cut that piece of glass out of the door, and I have it today. Isn't that something? Signed by him. And to think you were office, you, were, you shared the office, not an office made, but he had your office before you did. Yeah, it was quite a historical place, wasn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, I would say, yes, it was and is. And I'm so grateful. I, I feel so privileged, brother, to have you on the the uh, show with me here today and talk about these things. I know that you've traveled a lot as an announcer, as we've heard, and you've done these things. But, you know, the, there's also that side of what you do that... Uh, is not so much just announcing, but part of part of the ministry of uh, shows like, um, for example, The Public Square. Tell us how you and Dave Zanotti got connected. We literally met on a live microphone together. We had both been invited to the same radio station during their share time, and uh, he was in the studio talking on the air, and I was to be on the air next, so I sat down next to him, and we started a on-air conversation, and we became friends that day. He's that kind of guy, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. You know what that's like with Dave. I do. I do. It's just like one conversation, and you feel like you've known the guy his your entire life, really. That's, that's yeah. what 
That's very true. And then a number of years, uh, a few years after that, then I was transitioning away from Moody, and, and Dave uh, was working on the Public Square uh, um, expanded version, which is now on the radio, and he invited me to be a part of it. So, you know, I I, I love what I get to talk about. I, I view myself as just basically a listener with uh, the Public Square team. I'm there to ask the questions that a listener might ask. I'm there learning just as a listener learns as I listen. I bring no particular expertise to it. I just enjoy being a part of the group. Well, you are part of the group, and it, I went to that illustration because of the fact that I see that show as being so much more than just radio. It's it's the entire package of ministry slash radio slash entertainment with you guys are funny and it's interesting <laughs> and I love listening to the discussion around the table. Uh, but then it's also so educational from the standpoint yeah. of giving us a perspective of of uh, what's going on in the world today that we just don't get anywhere else. Yeah, I understand that because that's how I feel. Uh, again, I'm I'm a I'm a listener. I'm a consumer. I'm I'm just the, the fly on the wall sort of with the group there to learn from them, and and uh, it, it's really enriched my life. Well, I'm so grateful that you're there, and we'll be back with Wayne in a moment. We're going to take a quick break here. And I'll be back with Wayne Shepherd, who is the voice on many programs that we have right here on The Shepherd. So don't go away. This is Afternoons with Mike. We are talking studio to studio with Wayne Shepherd. Wayne is actually up in the Chicago area. And uh, I love this. We talked about technology in the beginning of our program and how that it carries both good and bad and I like to focus on the good, and at times I just want to throw away the bad <laughs> and just deal with it. But when it comes down to doing what we're doing today, it, it really is great to be able to do this. and uh, Just with digital uh, capabilities to have studios kind of connected one with another and the end product, it sounds like you're sitting right here with me, my friend. Well, it, it makes us far more productive, doesn't it? Uh, I think back to the day when, uh, you know, many of the broadcasts I'm involved in would have taken hours and hours and hours to assemble back in the day. And now with digital, you know, you move a few files around, make a few edits and bring a few uh, different uh, uh, channels together and suddenly you got a program. It really is. And amazing how that uh, it's really changed. Technology's changed the way just literally everybody on the radio and in television, for that matter. I mean, I, the, the yeah. early days yeah. you were talking about splicing audio tape. Uh, boy, I, did I do my share of that. But after I learned to do that in the early 70s, I, I went into television. And I got to be part of the transition in TV from the old days to the new days when ENG gear, electronic news gathering is what they called that, ENG uh, kind of took over and the digital phase was starting to come in. But prior to that, I, ha I had to learn to splice 16 millimeter sound film. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? Oh. And that, no, was, no. uh, that was especially uh, complicated because anyone who knows anything about physics and light and sound, light moves much faster than sound. So where you would cut and make an edit on the film part your your audio was lagging behind that, so you had to learn how many inches behind the audio stripe was from the from the frame that you were just getting ready to cut. Isn't that nuts? Wow! Wow! 
Okay, that's why I still like radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the hilarious thing, just to let you know how long ago this was, our station there in Indiana still ran 35-millimeter slides in breaks for oh. commercials. Oh, that, my goodness. Wow. Yeah, and, and I, while I'm there at this station, a number of things happened. All of that changed, and the digital uh, editing came in, nonlinear editing. Uh, all of that happened, and I was uh, doing a weather show, Wayne, and they actually brought in the new camera along with our old camera, and did a split screen on my face. Half of me was the, the new digital version, and the other half was this fuzzy out of focus. <laughs> what it looked, it, it was crazy to see what, uh, what changes were, were made in broadcasting back in that day. Which one did you like best, Mike? Well, I didn't like either one of them, but that's not a surprise. You know, I I don't do much video, but when I do, boy, it's painful. You know, I, I I'm living example of, of of face for radio. You know, I really am. So, well, but you actually, this is that. Let's a good lead in to what I wanted to ask you next. One of the things that you do with uh, with Dave Zanotti is this yearly video. It's now a video. I don't think it started off being a video, right? Yeah, it's just been the last couple of years that we've done that. Yeah, it's a full-blown video. Christmas in America, what a wonderful project that's been to work on. Dave is so creative. And once again, I just hitch my wagon to his star, and I just follow along the best I can and keep up with him. But it is a it is a hoot. It's a real treat and a ministry to be a part of that together. So thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, well, it's one of my favorite things now to do at Christmas time. I, I listen to it and then I watch it. That's kind of the routine because I, I really do love the fact that it is still kind of aimed at being a, a, a radio program, but just with mm-hmm. the, the video aspect being added to it is really super special. And then plus... Yeah. The venue that you do it right there in Nashville, uh, that's got to be a fun thing. I'm hoping like mad that I can be there this year for that taping. Oh, I hope you will. I'm yeah, wanting really to make that happen. Yeah, it's not just the venue. The venue, you know, has been wonderful. We've been in different places, but uh, it's the local talent there and the mu- musicians, that the musical talent that we're able to draw on in the Nashville area. You know, those these are the top-notch guys in town there. I mean, they're the best of the best, and it's just wonderful to uh, benefit from their, their musical ability on the show. You're talking about John Hartley and Chris Rodriguez, yep. one of the finest yep. guitar yep. players I've ever seen. I know. I know. I, I did. He's amazing. And, and, and uh, Jeff Taylor is my good friend. Jeff um, is a uh, principally an accordionist in Nashville, uh, but he plays so many different instruments. But he, I think he said when he moved to Nashville, he found out there were like 800 piano players and just a handful of accordion players. So he decided to focus on the accordion, and he makes his living as a session musician there in Nashville, plays with the Time Jumpers. I love to go to the Time Jumpers in Nashville every Monday night whenever I'm in town there. And that that's a group of just just a group of session players who all get together on a Monday night and just have fun playing Western swings. So. And you're not going to hear better music than what they get, they put out. No. It's it's just wonderful. No. Yeah, my jaw drops when I when I listen to them and watch them play. 
It's always fun, isn't it, to go to Nashville and kind of hang around in some of these venues where you hear the great country music and these players. I, I just think it's so creative how that they blend their voices and play those instruments. And my goodness, it's one of the most fun things for me to do in Nashville is to go to those those live venues, hear live music. Yeah, I often turn to the people I'm with and say, how do they do that? You know, so... Well, one of the things I haven't uh, asked you about yet that I would really love to know is how you came to the Lord in the beginning, Wayne. What was your story? Well, uh, we were talking about uh, life being simpler. You know, I'm I'm 70 years old. I know that's hard to believe, Mike. I'm 70 years old, but I am. And uh, so... uh, (laughs) <laughs> so I I grew up in that time when the culture surrounded us and supported our Christian values, right? Uh, there was a sense of morality in the community and all that. Now, my parents, when I was young, were not believers, although it was a church culture. Uh, it was really my aunt and uncle who made sure that I was in church and in Sunday school and very actively involved. And it was after a Sunday school lesson when I was a child that I uh, went home and knelt by my bed and asked the Lord to, uh, to save my soul. And that was uh, a decision I never turned back from. When I uh, chose a college, I went to a Christian school where my faith was developed further. And, you know, it's been a growth path ever since. So hopefully I'm not done growing yet, but um, the Lord has just met me every step of the way. We my, met my wife in college, and we've been married 49 years at this point. Two great kids and one one grandchild. I know you have more than I do. I'm very jealous about that. But um, <laughs> we uh, we've been blessed in many many ways. Oh, that sounds marvelous. I mean, 49 years. Congratulations. That's a milestone. That is awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not to my credit. Mm. Well, God is blessed, and it is a wonderful thing to see a couple. I mean, what you've got a big anniversary celebration just around the corner. Yeah, I'm feeling the pressure a little bit. I really am. I, I got to come up with something here soon. So, Well, I'm sure <laughs> you will. Uh, I am positive you will. Tell me a little bit about how that you got involved with other groups. You, you mentioned the story already of uh, getting and connecting with Dave Zanotti, but you also are the mm-hmm. voice to parenting today's teens. And uh, I, you, yeah. you and I had a chance to sit in one of those meetings uh, at, while we were in Nashville just last month, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, Mark Gregston and Parenting Today's Teens is actually one, um, I think, it, I, I haven't stopped to count recently, Mike, but I think it's 12 different radio shows slash podcasts that I do. Um, Parenting Today's Teens is one, The Public Square is another, Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy is another. When I was at Moody... Um, the Lord always also opened doors for me to work freelance for a number of ministries. I worked with Josh McDowell for a number of years doing Josh's radio show. Is that right? Uh, I already I already mentioned Promise Keepers. I I worked for Promise Keepers uh, as a moonlighting type job, um, and and also Moody was also just such a, a nexus, such a place where all all roads crossed uh, Moody's paths eventually, and so I got to know people. And um, about 15 years ago, the Lord really moved me in a powerful way away from my full-time employment at Moody into a freelance uh, uh, career. And that's really what I've been doing these last 15 years is I've been working with those clients, some of whom I started working for back when I was at Moody. Others are new assignments, but I I just now spend all of my days um, 
doing radio shows for different ministries. Uh, I work with Michael Card on doing a podcast. I work with uh, Cancer Treatment Centers of America doing a podcast. I I do uh, radio shows like Philip DeCourcy and Know the Truth, which is on your network. I do other shows like that. Um, I actually still do a show for Moody, uh, uh, every, and uh, that's a daily Bible teaching show as well. So I've got my finger in a lot of different pies, I guess you could say. Yeah, you do. Now, what's the story behind Philip DeCourcy? I had him on my program back in the pandemic. Oh, love Philip's preaching. Oh. Yeah. I love Philip's preaching. He, he, of course, is from Ireland. We all know that if you listen to him. And uh, I, I knew nothing about Philip, but a friend or a couple of friends actually came along and told me that this pastor in Southern California was thinking about starting a radio ministry and was uh, looking for someone to come alongside him to kind of be the, you know, the setup man. And so they recommended me, and lo and behold, I found myself hosting Philip's radio show, Know the Truth. And I, it's a great association that I dearly love because I love to listen to Philip. And I, yes. I admire his ability as a, a minister of God's Word. And, and I love his personality, too. You know, it's hard to beat these Irish guys. So <laughs> Yeah, the, this uh, little brogue that he has is so wonderful to listen to. And uh, he made me laugh a number of times during our interview when he was telling me stories from his perspective as only he can share it because it would sound like I'm mocking him if I were to use any of the words. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's not really fair. It's not really fair that he has this beautiful accent. And, yeah. You know, all he has to do is read a grocery list and we're we're enthralled with his voice. You know, it just isn't fair in some way. Uh, I get it. I, I, it is so true. Anytime anybody's from the UK or from Ireland or Scotland and then they start to speak, uh, everybody else in the room just may as well shut up because it's just so amazing to hear him talk. But it some of his expressions just crack me up, man. I I love him, and he is, he's really funny. Yeah, he is. He, he is. You know, I, I also recently interviewed Alistair Begg. You mentioned Scotland. And in the course, in the course of the interview, I said to Alistair, I said, you know, uh, my DNA tells me that I'm 92% Scottish. And he said, is that all? So I don't think he was impressed with my 92% Scottish heritage. So. That's right. That's too good. We've got just a little bit of time left in this segment. And I, I want to ask you, if you will, about Mission Eurasia. I know that this is a part of your heart, and we're going to carry this on in into the next segment as well. But how did you get involved? Uh, because your involvement there is not just in the same kind of avenue or direction as all of your other involvements with these ministries. You're really leading a, a lot of the, the missions and directives that are going on with this. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't want to take more credit than that is due, certainly, but it's, it's a relationship that um, we just started donating to this ministry a number of years ago. Its current president, Sergei Rakuba, was a young man who came to us from Moscow, although he was Ukrainian. And he, he came to Chicago to study at Moody Bible Institute, and I met him there when he was a student. This is back in the early 90s. Um, and we started donating to the, the mission, and about 10 years ago, they invited me to join the board, which I did. And so for these last 10 years, I've been a part of the board, and then these last couple of years, I've served as chair 
of the Mission Eurasia Board. We're we're a relatively small organization. You know, we have an annual budget of, uh, of uh, you know a few million dollars, but in retro in in reality, that's not very large in today's world. Um, and suddenly, suddenly, and we can talk more about this with the war in Ukraine. I mean. We've been right there. We, our offices were in Erpine, the town that was destroyed by the Russian forces, and our office building was destroyed. Um, and we can talk more about this, but, I, you know, it's just I've grown to love this ministry. I've grown to love the Ukrainian people especially, although I've traveled in many parts of the former Soviet Union and have a dear love and dear friends in many parts of the Soviet Union, including Russia. But uh, the Ukrainians are a special breed. I, I love the Ukrainian people, and, and I'd love to talk more about that ministry. I have not uh, ever been privileged to go there, but we did recently, my wife and I watched uh, the president when he was basically, this is, this is a crazy bit of irony. He plays, uh, uh, he was a former actor. The president, Zelensky yeah. of the Ukraine, was a uh-huh. former actor who, of all things, played the role of a person who unexpectedly became the president of Ukraine. And watching yeah. that, and, and you know, that gives us the opportunity, basically, to see the background, all of the outdoor scenes were shot in Ukraine. It's a beautiful, I don't think any of us could imagine how gorgeous that, that nation is, right? Well, it, it's been known as the breadbasket of the former Soviet Union because of its, its uh, farming and, you know, its wheat exports. And it's just, you're right, it is a beautiful country. But even beyond the, you know, the scenic beauty is the beauty of the people there that there's a lot of Christians in Ukraine, a lot of folks, and in recent days, a lot more because many are turning to Christ in the middle of this conflict, of this horrible war. And uh, we're excited about that. I am excited about it as well. We have friends that are there uh, that are part of uh, the group of churches that our church is part of. And I don't know these people well, but I've had some chats with them and they're dear. I get to see them about once a year. Ironically, this year at the conference where he was here, uh, he he arrived on Monday and I think it was Thursday morning that war broke out and his wife... And family still back home in the Kiev area, so it is. Um, it's still an ongoing situation. He is safely back with them, and they they were safe, and we're grateful for that. My guest today is Wayne Shepherd, and we are talking about this whole thing. We're going to continue this part of the chat in our last segment today. Wayne is an announcer. He's a, a minister. He he's a lot of things to a lot of people. Uh, He is my guest today on the show, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. This is Afternoons with Mike. So much fun today to be talking to Wayne Shepard. Wayne is a longtime announcer and uh, has his own communications company based still in Chicago and uh, the Windy City. That's where I took my first FCC test, man. And I say my first because I had to take it twice. <laughs> oh, no. Do you still have your license? I do. Do you? I've lost mine. Oh, no, my goodness. Mine. But people in radio today don't know what we had to go through, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember sweating before taking that test. <laughs> you know, element number one and two, elements two, one and, and two nine. were easy. And then you yeah. get to nine. 
nine was the killer. That was yep. the killer. And basically, now they didn't tell us this the first time around, but you basically needed to study a different book than what they let on that we needed to study. So I knew I had all my material down from my class. I had it all ready, and I get up there, and I'm taking this test, and I get to nine, and I'm thinking they are surely kidding with me, right? I mean, uh, I, you had to know ship-to-shore communication language. You needed to know uh, all sorts of technical terms. I didn't know any of that stuff, and I flagged it. So I got a partial license my first time. And uh, you right. know, there was a guy that probably took that test four or five times before he finally passed. And you had to have that license to actually operate a radio station, to be the, the sole person in charge of a radio station. You know, So you had to have it. You had to have it. You had to have nine. You had to have the certain... Nine was like a, a little bit of a, uh, what, a seal or something, uh, an emblem that would be on your actual license. So uh, that was something you had to have. And uh, by, by God's grace, someone gave me a resource. And I studied that Good. book, and I thought, oh, here's the information I needed. And then I made it on my second attempt. But boy, that was a tough one. But yeah. I know I couldn't pass it now. Oh. I know I couldn't pass it now. So Yeah, <laughs> it, it took a lot of study. But then they deregulate radio, and man, anybody can do what we do. And there you go, huh? <laughs> there you go. All right. So we were talking at the end of the last segment, Wayne, about Mission Eurasia. And uh, one of the things that I, I wanted to touch base on, because it was a poignant moment on the public square when you guys uh, were just getting ready to roll a show and to record. And all of a sudden, the news about the bombing of the headquarters there in uh, in Ukraine uh, had happened. And it was a, a big loss. And I felt, yeah. even though I've never been there, I I felt it through the passion that you were feeling and what you expressed. Yeah, that moment was real. Uh, there was nothing uh, made up about that moment. As uh, as the microphones were turned on, I had just received a text announcing that our ministry building in Irpine had not only been destroyed, Mike, and the photos were starting to come through, but the Russian soldiers took it upon themselves to enter the building that was the rubble and enter our warehouse and pile up the Bibles and Christian literature that we had stored there, and they set it all ablaze out in the yard. So the photos are of the, uh, of the Bibles burning there after the destruction of the building. So it was very upsetting. But you know what? Um, the Lord is still on his throne, and this thing's not over yet, and we have great hope. Now, we have, we're so busy, uh, the staff, you know, I have little to do with it here in America, but the staff there are so busy just surviving and in serving others, their neighbors, with food and with, you know, copies of Scripture that we're having printed like crazy, um, that we haven't even given thought to how we're going to rebuild the building or anything at this point. We've got to wait for this war to be won first, but... Um, yeah, it was it was a it was a tough day. Have uh, the occupation of that area? Did the Russians stay there, or did they abandon the area after they destroyed it? No, no. the The building was actually destroyed on their retreat away from the Kiev area. So we the the building stood until the last moment, and then as a part of the battle, as they left, is when it was destroyed. And now, of course, the war has heated up, and the Eastern Front is 
being attacked viciously now, but they're still throwing artillery at places like Kiev and Lviv and places like that. So it's a very dangerous place to go. Actually, to tell you the truth, um, the Lord is really calling me uh, to accompany a, a group of men. We're going over there uh, in May. And my purpose for going is to get a better handle on how to best support our people who live there and who've lost their homes and are serving uh, as as uh, people delivering food and medicine and the scriptures to people. How can we best support our staff there? So I'm going to try to get a handle on that and, and uh, just wrap my arms around some of these people who are so dear to me at this time. Yeah, I can only imagine what kind of a homecoming that will be for you when you go back. But it's also going to be heartbreaking, isn't it, to see the, the devastation? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's another ministry that I'm associated with that works in Ukraine, and that's the Far East Broadcasting Company. FEBC actually has seven radio stations in Ukraine, seven FM stations, six of which remain on the air, even during all these battles. Um, And these broadcasters, uh, most of them had to flee their homes in one part of the country to move to western Ukraine, where they assembled at one of the radio stations that feeds all the rest. So they've been broadcasting every day, and in addition to the broadcasting, encouraging the people of Ukraine, a whole counseling service has um, been in operation for a number of years now, and it's it's really kicked into action. And these phone counselors are encouraging people who call and comforting them and leading them to the Lord. And it's an amazing ministry. So I I have a a, a double reason to uh, to pray even more fervently for the country of Ukraine and these ministries there. Well, we're going to be praying with you and for you while you're there for your safety and and also just that God would just lead you and guide you with to the people that you really need to see. Uh, that is yeah. that is uh, so needed, and thank you for doing that. Thank you for being willing to do that. Jumping back to sure. the public square for a moment, uh, one of the big things that happened, it's a little bit more in the category of happy news, good news, uh, and that's what happened with the opening of the American Mission Center uh, for the Public Square, American Policy Roundtable, of which you are obviously are a big part in that place. Can you kind of give us a visual description? It's a beautiful facility. It, it's very homey. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's really the first building that APR has had in its, its own building in its history. It's always lived in rented facilities and bounced from place to place. But now the Lord has provided the American Mission Center so well designed. Uh, it's, it's not extravagant, but it is just perfect for our needs. And, um, you know, Dave and the others have worked on this hard. I got to be there for the dedication. Of course, that's in the Cleveland area, and I live in Chicago, so I don't get to work out of the building. But um, I I love being there. Uh, I love the fact that we have a home now. I love the fact that we have a center where people are going to be able to come and Home uh, school groups are going to be able to study there and learn there about the American uh, Policy Roundtable and the things that we stand for, built on a biblical foundation. I just think I'm very, very excited about what's what's going to happen in the years to come as the Lord provides. Yeah, I was going to ask you, though, when are you going to come do your radio show from there? Yeah, I know. Uh, Dave has asked me about that, and I think he's serious. I think he is, and I would love oh, to do it at some serious. point. Good. Well, we'll hold you to that. We'll hold you to that. And maybe I can be there at the same time. I'd love to see you again, Mike. Oh, my gosh. That would be so much fun, Wayne. And uh, yeah, I'll I'll just uh, 
put that on my list of things to pray for when we go. That'd be awesome. Uh, you are also, in addition to being the voice for uh, a lot of these ministries that we've already mentioned, but you do your own program as well. Tell us about that. Mm-hmm. It's called First Person. When I left uh, Moody Bible Institute uh, the last number of years there, I had focused a lot in addition to my management responsibilities on interviewing, and I grew to love interviewing. And after I left, uh, a few years went by, and I was constantly frustrated because I'd, I'd hear stories, I'd talk to people, and yet I had no way of taking their story and you know telling it to other people. So after a few years, my wife challenged me. She said, well, Uh, you don't know how to do this and have it pay for itself. Why does it need to pay for itself? It can be your ministry. Your other assignments are paying our bills. Why don't you start first person as your own ministry? So that's what we did. And the Lord has blessed that program. We're now on, it's a weekly uh, half-hour interview show that's online. It releases a podcast, but it's also on some 460 radio stations across the country as well. That is amazing. I'm, I'm anxious to find out more about it because I just learned about it when I was with you. And that is something that we've got to check out for here in uh, The Shepherd. That would just be wonderful. Oh, I love the name. Be, cool. Well, in the back of my mind, there was a program many, many years ago called First Hand. And the uh, the announcer was a guy that I haven't spoken to in years. Denny Milgate was the announcer. And I always liked uh, the concept of firsthand. And when we were casting about for a title for our show, we decided on first person, which kind of has a double meaning for me, Mike. And that is, of course, it, it refers to the fact that we're hearing from the source uh, and not third person. But um, it also means that the guest is more important than the that the interviewer than the interviewer is because so many you know this well as an interviewer and you do it so well but it's it's also very common for interviewers to kind of overpower the guest and feel like they're the star of the interview and I I kind of rebel against that so that's why we call it first person that that's well expressed Wayne and that's beautiful how can people hear it how can they find this online uh, any place you go for podcasts these days, if you just look for first-person interview, there are three words, first-person interview, you'll find it. It's also online um, at firstpersoninterview.com. We have an app that you can download called First Person Interview. It's free, and you can listen to the programs that way or download past programs. We have some 500 interviews, I think, now uh, available online to listen to. Speaking of apps, that's how I listen to you. Uh, your your app is a, is an excellent app, and I get to listen to uh, the Shepherd here, uh, where I live in Chicago. From time to time, I dial you up in my car with a smartphone and and listen in, just kind of you know checking up on you guys, just to make sure that you know you're on the straight and narrow there. So <laughs> working hard to do just that, and it is it is exciting really to realize that our program. Your program, all of these radio programs that we have on The Shepherd are available on a really almost an on-demand basis by going to the podcast, going to their website, or going to, like you said, either Apple iTunes, Spotify, or Google. Those mm-hmm. are the three that we're yep. on. And, uh, yep. and basically listen when you can. It's on-demand right. listening. On-demand radio, yeah. And, yeah. and that's exactly. something that you and I did not have in the early days. No, no, we did not. And, you know, I was impressed, too, with your app because I use Apple CarPlay in the car. And not every app shows up on Apple CarPlay, but the Shepherd does. And I don't know if you even knew that. 
I must confess, I don't have a car that is equipped with that, but I've heard that it's pretty cool. It it makes it even easier to listen, yes. Yeah, that's neat. I'm going to have to check that one out because uh, I've not seen that with my own eyes yet. Wayne Shepard, it's been a delight to have you on my program today. Thank you so very much. Give us your contact information, your website, one more time, if you will. Well, the program website is what I use primarily, firstpersoninterview.com. You'll find me uh, on Facebook as First Person Interview. You'll even find me on with my name, Wayne Shepard, there. So it's wayne.shepard, facebook.com slash wayne.shepard. Well, have a wonderful and safe trip to Ukraine when you go. And thank you again for spending and investing this time in our listeners. I appreciate it. You're very kind, Mike. Thank you, brother. All right. And we'll see you next time, friends, right here on Afternoons with Mike.